Today we're getting back to basics so that we can try and catalyze more breakthroughs and uh, it's hard. <laughs> it's very hard. I'm very tired. Yeah, I'm tired too. A I lot like of the a lot of but damn. Well, the breakthroughs make you sore, but getting to them, whew, it's just a lot of work. There's a lot of You know what it feels like right now? It feels like speed regulation. It feels like I can't tell how fast or slow I'm going, and so I keep on trying to regulate the speed through the gas pedal, but I don't have a speedometer. See, and that's real weirdness for me because I I can feel that very thing internally, physically, very easily. Like, what does that mean? Like, it drives other people crazy. It drives Brian crazy. Because I can feel, I feel when things are speeding up and slowing down physically, like, I guess I'm picking up a momentum, I guess is what you would call it. Mm-hmm. Like if we're driving oh, and yes. <laughs> I can gauge, I can gauge how, like, how fast or slow we need to be going in conjunction with the car in front of us. And I can also gauge how fast they are going in conjunction with the car that they're in back of. So I know when I can see the chain reaction, I can, well, I can't see it. I can feel it. I I (laughs) internally feel it. The chain reaction of this guy stopping and the, you know, like how, how long it's going to take you to stop in order to get, you know, to a full stop without smashing into someone. I also feel it with planes. If we're on a plane, I can feel us like, I know when we're going into a landing situation. I can feel when the plane plane has slowed down. Mm -hmm. And we've had arguments on the plane where he's like, I'm like, oh, we're slowing down. We're going to start descending soon. And he's like, no, we're not. We just like, we just got up here. And I'm like, no, well, I don't know why, but I'm telling you that we just slowed down and we're going to be, I can feel it happening. I can feel it. Yeah. I can feel it on a plane. And, you know, I've been backed up by the pilot coming in and going, okay, well, we're now starting. And I'm like, I told you so. Mm -hmm. Oh, I can always tell when they're changing speeds on a plane. But it's very, like, internally, it's hard to describe and it's hard to explain to somebody else. And I'm sure it is very annoying. But I can't help it. It is very, it's very dramatic in my body. It looks very dramatic when you're looking at your body. For those of you who don't know, I am the third wheel of the Brian and Jamie show. And I sit in the backseat of their car a lot. (laughs) And driving is an experience. The hand, Jamie's hand goes up to the ceiling as if that's going to brace her for the impending doom we're about to face. I'm sitting in the back not realizing anything's going on. Brian is driving like everything's normal. And Jamie's like... (gasps) With the hand up and then the hand on the dashboard and ah. so yeah, the drama. I, mean, I I can't I can't help. I I would love if I didn't feel that internally. That would be one of those I, things, one of those gifts that I'd love to give away. I contend. Like, hey. I contend that you are a very uh, overprotective person in general, and that's just another 
area in which that exists. I contend that it actually is a choice, but it doesn't feel like a choice because you don't feel safe. I I can't tell you whether that is the truth or not. I guess I won't know unless it changes for some reason. Exactly. But exactly. That's just all, the all I can say. All I can say is that it's a thing that happens and yeah. it's not comfortable for me either. No, so, clearly. <laughs> again, it's it, it is definitely one of those things where I'm like I would love to give this superpower away. Uh-huh. <laughs> I don't really want it. But yeah, it, you know, weird things that come with the territory mm-hmm. and some gifts I would I would love to have and some gifts I would love to have heightened and turned up a notch and some I would really like to just say here <laughs> I think you gave these to the wrong individual mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I would like to give them back is there mm-hmm. some sort of special superpower you know elephant Donation gift party elephant. white elephant this momentum momentum measure up for the white elephant party for the office party maybe i'll get a cloak of invisibility no one wants <laughs> <laughs> i think i have those too i think i have a few of those right? I, I'd, I'd actually like to turn in you know somewhere there has to be like a, a race car driver that would really appreciate that superpower mm. and i would love to grant it to them <laughs> mm-hmm. here you go here's my magic wand and i'm gonna poof and Ridiculous. the transfer is complete <laughs> but holy cow yeah, it's it's been it's it's so hard for me because I always feel like and I don't know if this is part of the the Gemini logic stepping in or if it's just because I've grown accustomed to the work. I I always feel so divided about it, especially around this time of year as we're kind of coming into winter and I can I can see little you know the little things growing i know that spring is going to be coming i I have you know i i don't have any feelings like there isn't something awesome that's going to happen in the future i i always look ahead and think well something has to come out of this (laughs) i'm not going through this for no reason there there has to be something good that is on its way but the the in in the moment dealing with the package of whatever it is can get really difficult and i you know it's just it's i mean what do you say about it it's it's not easy being aware all the time it's not easy not being aware but it's not always easy being aware either it's you know they i mean i the term ignorance is bliss is not a thing exact, for nothing exactly exactly i'd say it is a lot easier <laughs> it's a lot easier to be unaware because things are what they are mm-hmm. it is what it is and There's a level there of acceptance nothing. there. Yeah, it comes with its own brand of surrender where you're like, well, I mean, I guess this is the world I live in. Off with me. Here I go, you know, into mm-hmm. the wild blue yonder. When you start to awaken to the fact that, oh, it doesn't have to be this way. 
let mm-hmm. me show you how it can be different. And everyone's resistant to that. That's when it becomes a real slog. And it's even even if you're resistant to it. Yeah. Like, but look, if you if you did this thing that you're scared of, you might face actual change, like good change, healthy change. But there's also that part of you that's like, oh, or I could freaking die. <laughs> I could die of fright. I could die of embarrassment. I could die of a whole bunch of things that I don't want to <laughs> risk right now. How about we don't do that? How about tomorrow? And tomorrow may never come. That's when it becomes a slog, when you are constantly battling yourself. Yeah. And, you know, and and it's funny because it's not even – this whole show is based around spirituality on a whole. But it's also based on, you know, just plain old culture and society. I mean, spirituality is is inherently – a part of our culture and society so it naturally goes together but i think too often we lump spirituality with religion and they're really not the same thing one can be a part of the other but they're not necessarily hand in hand but society and culture always encompasses some sort of spirituality even if you're not even if you don't count yourself as being spiritual if you have things like hope (laughs) Hope. that you know hope hope Mm -hmm. is hope is a an offshoot of faith and it doesn't have to be a faith in a religion but it usually you know, holds hand somewhere along the line with spirituality. And so I think even if you're not someone who would consider themselves to be a spiritual individual, you are still getting faced with all of the things that we talk about. You might frame them in a different way. It might come up for you in a different way. You might notice it or acknowledge it in a different way, but it's the same thing. Mm -hmm. And I don't know why it was necessarily important for me to bring that up, but it was a thing that was kind of nudging at me. Well, and I think right. I think in the in it's funny because we we actually recorded something yesterday, which will end up being a deep dive. And in between the time that we recorded yesterday and now, I ended up picking. I watched two podcasts and picked up a book at the library yesterday, and we'll probably end up picking up another book at the library based on the podcast that I watched today. And the shows that I was listening to are not spiritual shows, but they're talking about the same sort of things that we are talking about and discovering from a slightly different angle, from maybe a more, I don't even know if I call it clinical, but maybe a little more mainstream, something that people are are maybe a little more, you know, used to hearing things from like a psychological or you know kind of mindset and it was interesting to kind of watch or listen to those things after the conversation that we had yesterday in kind of preparation for today because I feel like there were several things that we had talked about that we'll bring up again and several things that they had talked about 
that kind of mesh very well together. And, you know, thinking a lot about just our society at large and, and what we're taught and how we're taught to react based on, you know, just the basic things of just growing up, you know, what I was watching today and what I was reading yesterday both brought up two very interesting things. Well, one very interesting things brought up in slightly different ways. And that was how much we actually carry in our physical bodies, in our nervous system and in our brains, which are connected to the state of the nervous system and any traumas that our mothers were going through at the time that we were born or at the time of carrying us in utero. And we talk about it a lot in spirituality. We end up calling it ancestral karma, Mm -hmm. things that are passed down to us. When I am practicing energy work and I'm using things like tuning forks, I'm picking that up through the forks it's actually quite common to hear a dissonance in the forks when you are getting close to the like the portion of your timeline of your physical birth it's it's definitely not uncommon to feel like there's something stuck there something Mm -hmm. kind of rattling around there that needs to get cleared or dislodged and a lot of that has to do with the fact that yes you you really are affected even before you come into this world with the trauma and how your with the trauma that your your mother or you know and subsequently that will kind of move out to your parents as a unit because what's happening in their relationship she's being affected by and then you're you're carrying that on you're you're being housed in that Mm -hmm. and you know even though I work with that and I've seen it and I can explain it to other people when you kind of turn it around back on yourself it's kind of an interesting thing to set with like I've I'm noticing over the last couple of months as I'm moving through these health issues that everything is on my left side. Everything. And your left side is your maternal side. And thinking about that in the context of, you know, what was she going through at the time of my birth? What all really did I absorb from that experience? Do you think that's a conversation that you can open up with her? You know, it's interesting because I thought about it and I thought, you know, I know that I've had birth conversations with her before because she used to make a very big deal of every day on my birthday, every year on my birthday, calling me, you know, if I either waking me up in the morning when I was still living at home or calling me once I left home 
and saying, right about now, we'd be driving to the hospital and I was <laughs> calling the doctor and this and this and that. She used to tell me the story of how she didn't notice, didn't realize that she was in labor, that they had gone to some sort of like car race and she had come home like like they went to like some sort of my parents were real car people and they used to do like drag racing and things like that and she they they had gone to some race somewhere and come home on a saturday and my mom started cleaning and was realizing that she was getting these little pings i think is how she described them these little pings and they were getting closer and closer together so she called her mom she's like mom i don't know what's going on i just keep feeling these little these little pings my grandmother was like you're in labor i'm coming over (laughs) and i can't remember i think my dad had gone to work or had gone out to like go get something and so he wasn't there and yeah, so my grandmother came and got her and took her to the hospital. And it was, I, I can't imagine how she did on that drive because they didn't le- live necessarily close to the hospital that she was giving birth at. I was born in San Bernardino, mm-hmm. but they lived in Riverside. And so that had to have been, <laughs> I mean, I'm going to guess at least like a half an hour to 45 minute drive to get there. And then you know and then the rest of the story is like then you were born i had you in an hour and 15 minutes right but have you ever had a conversation with her about what it was like being pregnant with you birth aside what happened on the lead up how was their relationship i know that these are the things that i know i and and i feel like if i were to ask her that she would just repeat the same thing Mm-hmm. And that is that they had a really hard time getting pregnant. Mm-hmm. My parents were married 11 years before I was conceived. I was kind of the, you know, I had cousins that were 10, 15, 20 years older than myself because they had kids so late and I know that she went through a lot in order to be able to have me but she was very determined like she wanted to be a mom she wanted to have kids and so I know that she went to the doctor repeatedly trying to figure out you know what's going on what's wrong and I mean this was the 70s so I, I don't know if they really had a huge handle on infertility or what to do with it. At, at the time, it was mostly here, go on these crazy diets and mm-hmm. see if that helps. Maybe it's a nutritional thing or something. So I know she went on and she was not a heavy woman. She was she was a thin woman. So it wasn't necessarily the weight, but maybe it was a, like a nutritional thing. But I know she went on several crazy diets before we actually finally got pregnant with me and I, I, but that's like when she talks about it, like that's what she talks about. I know like from a relationship standpoint, 
I know it was kind of a weird, like they got married very young. My dad is four years older than my mom. They met at a grocery store. Like literally my dad was the, like the bag bagger up dude. The bag boy. And the bag boy. And my mom was at the grocery store with my grandmother and they were checking out. And my dad asked my mom out basically there in line as they were checking out and like pulled her aside and then she went back to her mom and said can I go (laughs) and she said you're gonna have to ask your father (laughs) to which she called I guess she called my grandfather from the payphone at the grocery store and my grandfather told her you can go if you go with like your cousin Like, I'll allow you to go on a double date, but you can't go by yourself. And so she called her cousin and told my dad, well, I can go if my cousin can come. So do you have a date for my cousin? To which he said, yes, I can set her up with one of my best friends. And so they went on a double date. Like, that's how that whole relationship started. And then... I know they got married when my mom was 16. What? I think think they had been going together for, I think, a year. I think they started dating when she was 15. She got married when she was 16. Oh, my gosh. And she, my dad left school early so that he could go and work for the same company that his dad and my actually his dad and my mom's dad both worked for and he lied to the company and said that he was older so that he could get the job that he got california (laughs) y'all well 1960s y'all 1960s california and yeah, because like I remember her saying, so she continued to go to school. She graduated from high school. Neither of them went to college, but she graduated from high school. And I remember her telling me that, like, if she was sick from school, my dad had to write her notes. <laughs> what? Because technically, as far as they were concerned, he was her legal guardian. <laughs> Because he was four years older, so he was over, uh. <laughs> he, he was the right age. So literally, my dad would have to write her her sick notes from school. So, yeah. Which, like, the whole idea of that, I just find so ridiculous. And now, of course, it's like, you know, if if Brian and I are having conversations about, you know, like, issues that I'm having with my parents or something like that. He always points back to, look, they started, <laughs> they, they never grew from that point. Like they started going through the motions of doing what they thought they were supposed to do. But emotionally, they didn't really grow from that place. Nope. Yep. And I can definitely see that and i can see that in you know i know they that was a thing i mean other people had that same kind of 
thing happening. You know, so I it's it was a time when people were getting married really young. And I can see that in that generation. Now that they are much older, I can see them behaving in ways where I'm like, oh my gosh, this is so immature. Like, why do you need to react that way to things? You know, why? Why? (laughs) (laughs) But it makes it, it does make it interesting to think about you know, even though the story that I get from them is basically a happy story, like it doesn't sound like anything traumatic happened. I have to think about that happening to, you know, someone who is still fairly young. I mean, my mom was, let's see. So my mom was 27 when she had me. So 27, 28, 29, 30. 31 so my dad was 31 so it's not necessarily like it was like they had kids early they didn't well (laughs) they hadn't but they hadn't moved on from that right emotionally they did have kids very early because they got married so early they didn't have a lot of developmental time to mature outside of each other so the the maturation happened in a relationship where the female was literally considered the charge of the male. I mean, he was her guardian, legal guardian, because he yeah. was her husband. That's that's twisted, man. That is that's got to really have to, to have left a mark somewhere. <laughs> yeah, well, it really sets you up for living in a different reality than other people can comprehend. And then you are faced with a life where you are expected to step into a shared reality, but the reality that you entered into from a very young age is not shared by a lot of people who are stepping in. Sure. And it's, it's just interesting to me because, you know, it's, this triggers a lot of thought, especially with, you know, the things that I'm going through now. And on, on one half, it was definitely one of those things where I think from a young child, I realized I will not repeat that. Like that is not a road that I'm going to go down. So in one way, I think I'm grateful that they went through that so that I could see it and say, no, thank you. That's (laughs) not a thing that I'm going to do. (laughs) Mm-hmm. <laughs> I definitely do not want that for myself because I don't like what I'm seeing here. And I think I need the time to, you know, to grow up. And although on the other hand, I feel like I was a grown up by like five. <laughs> yeah, in certain ways, but in other ways, completely inadequate. At least if when I think about it from my perspective, I definitely felt I was definitely one of those old soul children, one of those children that adults looked at like mystified. How do you, how do you comprehend what you comprehend? How do you think about the things you think about? Where do you get this from? That kind Uh of thing. And there was a certain element of pride that came with that. It got me a certain amount of recognition and attention and trust and respect that was very much beyond my years. However, there was a whole nother part of me that was absolutely terrified completely unsure of how to grow up or grow into certain things, 
too terrified to step into the normal, a lot of the normal or what you would think of as the normal milestones for growth along Uh the way and ended up becoming a very, uh, well, I mean, this is going to sound harsh, but inadequate is the only word I can think of. Inadequate adult. Like, can I fake it? I can look great, but I don't, I feel like an imposter on the inside. I know a lot of people out there feel that sense of imposter syndrome. Um, when it comes to certain things, but that's the, what's one of the things that I've been struggling with this past year into this new year is really trying to debunk my own imposter syndrome, really trying to become aware of the ways in which I have grown up since I started this journey, because that's part of the problem is that a lot of times we have grown up, we just still hold the old stories that we haven't. Well, I think we have, I think we have a real issue with trust, especially self-trust. We just talked about this between ourselves. And if I think about it in relation to the story that I just told, I feel like I, I don't think I ever had a really good grasp on security and safety. Like, I, I really don't feel like, if I really think about it, the, the only, the only version of that I had was with my grandparents. Right. Because, and that, I think that is a question that I would like to ask my mom, because I don't remember, I remember that, like, both my mom and dad, they both worked, and I feel like my mom went back to work fairly soon after I was born. I don't know exactly how long it was, but I think I'd kind of like to find that out because mm-hmm. I remembered like some of my earliest memories are of my grandmother watching me while they were both at work or my dad worked third shift. My mom worked in the morning. So like my grandma would come over kind of early in the morning in that time when, you know, my dad was just coming home from work and my mom was just leaving. And so I know my dad would immediately go to sleep. That was his time to sleep. But, and then they left, they left the state when I was about, oh, wow. I guess it was a lot earlier than I had remembered. I had to think about like how different, memories kind of lined up and I think I always feel like they didn't go away until I was like seven or eight but in actuality I know that they had left before I was five Mm. because I remember going back east and visiting them when I was five and getting a very particular present from my great-grandmother while I was there so they had to have been they had to have been gone before I was five And I know that that was, that had to have triggered something. And I think that that's kind of really where I thought, well, if they're not here, then I'm going to have to take care of myself because I saw them as my caretakers. I didn't Mm -hmm. see my parents as my caretakers. I saw my grandparents as my caretakers. Right. My parents were the people that were around a lot, but they were always busy doing something. They had work. They had, you know, other things going on. 
And I think my grandmother had a way of interacting with me that was very different from my parents. And I think because I was kind of unsure about my parents, maybe like I was a very shy kid. I, I was one of those, you know, the, the kids that would hide behind <laughs> the parents and kind of hug onto the leg and kind of like peek out when people would try to like approach you and talk to you. I was like, mm, strangers. So yeah, I, I was not, I was not an outgoing kid. I liked, I liked to be around other kids. I liked to play. It's not like I would completely hide myself away, but I had to warm up to you. Like, I had to feel you out first. I had to make sure that, you know, you kind of passed my tests before I would just, you know, I was I was not one of those people where I would just kind of blindly go along. My brother was the exact opposite. My brother would, would have followed anybody. <laughs> He'd have been like, hi! Hi, how are you? Can I come home with you? Do you have a swing set? Yay! <laughs> I was not that child. But it, you know, it brings up interesting questions for later in life and how you react to things and the amount of trust that you end up having for yourself because you never had a really good foundation growing up. And it's, it's not that I blame my parents for that. I understand, especially, you know, reflecting back on the fact that God, they got married so young, that they really there were a lot of things that they didn't know and thank goodness that they didn't have me as soon as they got married. Cause I can only oh imagine gosh. that that would have Jeez. been a whole other can of worms. That I- <laughs> and that right there, ladies and gentlemen, that right there is exactly why they ended up having Jamie so late because in soul yeah. form, she was sitting up there going, Oh, uh-uh, no. a full blown <laughs> shit show. I'm not, uh, it's going to be hard enough the way I'm coming in. I'm <laughs> not doing it as she's 16. No. <laughs> that was Jamie's wisdom that set that up. <laughs> I imagine this really long, drawn out, like, negotiation process where it's like, uh-uh. <laughs> no, 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 not now. Okay, let's see what else we got going here. No, no, no. Uh, well, uh, <sighs> going to be interesting but I think I can handle this I just heard in my head and I don't know if I'm making this up but I just heard in my head all right look the time the the clock is running out on having your grandparents there to ground you yeah in this body and if you don't have enough time with your grandparents to ground you in this body it's going to get much more difficult so you're kind of in a sweet spot right now go 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 move 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 (laughs) you know I'll buy that I'll buy that because I I Internally, I can feel that kind of anxiety. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like maybe that was part of, maybe that's another side of the anxiousness that you get born into, also, is I, you know, who knows? I don't, I, I can't recall exactly that process. So, you know, I don't know if there's anxiety from spirit on the other side going in when you're making that decision on one hand I feel like I feel like maybe there's a very logical portion of it where you're you're weighing things out well and making decisions, I can tell, but I don't know if there's anxiety I can tell you that 
from doing QHHT, which is, it stands for Quantum Healing Hypnosis Technique, a technique pioneered by Dolores Cannon to facilitate past life regression and connection with your spirit team on the other side. From practicing this and facilitating sessions for other people, I have run into people who have had babies, like miscarriages, Uh the baby nopes out because Uh they decide they're not ready. They don't want to do it yet. So it does take a certain amount of courage from that point of view to commit to the birth. You have children who nope out at a very young age because they decide this isn't what I signed up. I remembered a past life in a regression just like that. She went on to be a ghost, which is a different story altogether and pretty cool if I do say so myself. But as a former paranormal investigator, I'd just like to say <laughs> I have had my own activity as a, as a spirit as haunting this world. But that's beyond the point. The point is, is that uh, I got into a life where I was like, no, no, absolutely not. And some sort of disease hit my family. And I, in the regression, I remembered deciding that I was going to go with my mother and my sister. So it was essentially a family, a father, mother, and two children. I was one of the children and I decided I had a choice. I could have stayed with my father who was very, in that lifetime, very religious, very staunch Christian. And I said, absolutely not. (laughs) And I left him. And I probably, the, my, my going, there's a certain distant and now minimal amount of guilt over leaving him alone like that. Yeah. And that's probably part of why I was shown that life. So, yeah, I think that the process of entering this planet in and of itself can be very traumatic. And I don't think it's something taken lightly by spirit. And I even I've even had stories of people who had pregnancies and they were suffering a certain amount of guilt over having an abortion and the potential child came through in session and said, I, you know, it was our last ditch effort at waking you up that you should not have been with this person because they were toxic. Yeah. They were unhealthy wow. for you. And if that's not sobering. I don't know what is because we have very, down here on earth, we have very specific views about that topic and they can be very catalyzing and very polarizing. And this message was just, I wasn't, the soul that came through was like, I wasn't supposed to be in your life that way. But I volunteered because you were not getting it. You were hurting yourself by being with this person. And so you needed to be catalyzed in some way. And if she had decided to go through with the pregnancy, it would have gone through. And that would have been a commitment made by that soul. So that's been my experience as a facilitator of these sessions for people that of, of individual stories that have come up through session. I think I feel like in my case, one one thing that does consistently kind of come up for me is that I feel like it was a timing thing. I think through all of the lifetimes that I experienced, it was very much like the important thing was the timing of it happening. And I think everything else around it was 
slightly sidelined, like slightly external from, and now you have the big surprise face. So I have to let you talk. (laughs) I don't know if what I'm getting is real or not, but it took me back to, it took me back to when you said, I always thought when I think back on when my grandparents left, I always thought I was seven or eight, but thinking about it, I was actually five. And with you saying the timing thing, it reminded me of you getting the feeling like you and I were meant to be sisters. Oh, yeah. And so what came through was that's part of the timing thing is that had you waited much longer, not only would you not have had your grandparents in that way, that it would like the time was running out to have them ground you in this life, but Uh also there needed to be a certain short distance between us so that we could have relatable experiences in a sisterly way. And so there was this like, it's kind of, you remember when you were a kid and you were doing jump rope on the playground and the ropes coming round and round and round and you don't know, you keep, every time it comes around, you think you're going to jump in, but then you're like, no, no, no. And you're listening to the, the skip of the rope as two people turn it for you. That's what it feels like. With your incarnations. It feels like I'm just waiting for that right turn. And sometimes it's about the rope being in the right place. And sometimes it's about you being in the right place. And it's the meeting of those two. It's the conjunction of those two things that makes the lifetime happen. What's up? Yeah, I I can agree with that 100%. And I thought it was interesting because one thing that's always kind of jumped out to me about us in particular is is exactly how far apart we are Mm -hmm. we are two years and two days apart yeah so my mind just went to look up 22 because i can't i mean i know numerology but i can't think of everything exactly all the time no so just the the quick first thing that popped up for 22 is soul number 22 is perceived as the most powerful and creative number of all. This means you're able to overcome all kinds of obstacles and aren't easily knocked back by failure. However, you also love to be seen as successful. So may become frustrated if you struggle to achieve your aims. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. And you know, also if you break 22 town, you get 11. 11 is a master number as well. <clears throat> so, like, let me see. What is what is their thing if I just Well, and if you have two twos, 22. you have two Geminis. Yeah, which we are. Mm-hmm. Let's see. The, uh, let me see. Okay. Master number 11. There are only three master numbers in numerology, double digit numbers that hold a tremendous amount of power and meaning. Having one or more of these numbers in your personal numerology is an indicator of great trials, but even greater potential. Along with 22 and 33, the number 11 is one of these master numbers. 11 is the bringer of spiritual awareness and a devout supporter of humankind. It is truly a messenger of the universe. Hmm. Padau. <laughs> I mean... So if I you ever just... wondered if everything's planned or it just happens, <laughs> take that into consideration, consideration next time. Right? Yeah. Right? 
And, you know, it's, it's just so interesting to me to think about things in this way. I think, you know, thinking about the trauma or the situation that was happening when you came into the world and, and how you absorb that and how that starts to shape you moving forward, you know, it's, it's interesting because it, it really can explain a lot. And I don't know how many people know their birth story or know, you know, what was going on at that time, what was going on in the world at that time, even, you know, you're, you're born into that too, because your parent is shaped by whatever is going on at the time. And, you know, for me, you know, I have, I have tendencies not to trust myself. That's something that I've definitely been made aware of and that I work on continually. And I think that I've gotten better at, but at the same time, I think anytime you become aware of something that you see as something that needs work, you're, you're going to be more apt to see more areas where that is triggered in your life. Once you become aware, it's not like, you know, it's not like it either gets all blown up and you take care of it in one fell swoop. You see chunks of it again and again and again and again and again, no, no matter how, you know, how much energy you're putting towards that. So, yeah, I see it in layers popping up over and over again where I feel like, okay, I've worked on this portion of it and I do feel better here. But then you turn around and you see, oh, but I'm completely, I completely missed over here. <laughs> yeah. I was putting that into play. And I did it the other day when um, I thought about it the other day when I was looking at my creativity and realizing that I don't acknowledge myself in a lot of the things that I do. I don't acknowledge my abilities. And a lot of that is just not it boils back down to not having trust in myself. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I don't, I don't always trust that I have something important to say that I have something important to give that I have something that other people want to, to be a part of or acknowledge or take part in, in any way. And I'm a very creative individual but I literally had to kind of go back through my phone and pick out things where I'm like, oh, here's something that I did that I really enjoyed. Here's something that I did that I thought was nice. Here's something that I did that, you know, or was a part of that if I removed myself far enough back to just be the observer, I could say, wow, that's really awesome. You know, and then it kind of clicks in my head. Wait, I did that. That was me. Mm -hmm. And then there's a little bit of, hey, I did that. That was me. And the attitude changes a little bit. And then there's kind of a, I did that. That was me. Are you sure? And it's like, yeah, that was you. You did do that. You can be proud of that. It's okay to be proud of that. 
And a lot of times I put myself in a situation where whatever I'm creating, I'm doing it kind of from more of a background space. Like it's not out in the open flamboyant in front of everybody. It's, it's not like, like I was a theater kid, but I was the backstage kid. I was, I wanted to be the onstage kid, but I could not allow that of myself. So my compromise with myself was, well, instead of being out there, you can manage all the things back here you can make all of the fun things happen but what that led to was everybody out there gets to enjoy it you never get to see it or hear about it and all of that adoration gets projected onto the people that are on stage playing the parts not you Mm -hmm. (laughs) nobody gets to see all the hard work that you did nobody gets to acknowledge Mm -hmm. all the hard work that you did and which leads to eventually being butthurt that nobody's appreciating you and it's right. and I had to realize well I wasn't appreciating myself right how can anybody else appreciate me when I'm not appreciating myself right and so there was there was a lot of self-sabotage going on there and I had to create a post on my personal IG acknowledging to myself it's like you know I kind of have to not care if no one else likes this post I have to put this out there and remind myself of all that I am capable of because how am I going to move forward especially at this time when it's all about create your own thing Mm -hmm. you know how do I not repeat the same kind of situation where I'm putting myself in the background again Mm -hmm. how can I say it's okay to step out in the spotlight a little it's right. okay to stretch your legs, even if and even if it scares really you. It's, and really, it's necessary because it scares you. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. There's, there's no there's no way around it. We have come to a point in our development where we're turned on, whether we want to be or not. Mm-hmm. We are activated. We are shining, and it's almost like there really is no way to step out of the spotlight. It's just a question of how enjoyable is the process going to be while you're in it? Yeah. Yeah. But I think there's there's a whole lot of acknowledgements that need to happen along the way. And it starts with the acknowledgement of what you've been through as a child, acknowledgement of any traumas, big T and little T trauma that's happened and acknowledging your part going forward as you continue to grow and move from that particular space how how do you still carry those things with you even if you feel like it's something that you've dealt with you know you have to get real honest with yourself about you know, I, I may have gone to therapy or I may have, you know, gone through these processes or, you know, I may have done a lot of shadow work around that. And you may have processed a lot of that, but how, how has that shaped how you react to situations? 
And have you dealt with that portion of it yet? You know, or can- even has it shaped? Have you had the opportunity, mm-hmm. like we were saying before, to even understand that there's change that has occurred? Mm-hmm. Because sometimes we get so deep in the weeds, we're doing all the work, but we're not we're not focused on the benefits of that work. We're focused on doing the work. You can't be focused on those two things at the same time. Like you have to change the hat. <laughs> right. And I think like yesterday, I think I had mentioned, I got to a place where I was so comfortable with doing the shadow work that every time I stepped into it, I was taking a jackhammer to shit. I was like, mm-hmm. let's blow it up. Let's get these big pieces of things that have been weighing me down out of the way. And I forgot that along with the blowing things up and jackhammering away, there also comes a moment when you have to slow back down and start sewing the little pieces together. Mm-hmm. You and have that's to what integrate I was talking that. about. Yeah. When we were starting, that's the gas pedal that I was talking about. I was like, I can't figure out if I'm going too fast or too slow. Am I overreaching or am I under, under applying myself? I am having a very difficult time with that speed. And it does come down to processing and integration. Yeah, I haven't integrated. I'm going too fast because I have yet to integrate a lot of what I've accomplished because I have yet to recognize that I have accomplished. Yeah. And the accomplishing really is a huge portion of it. It's like, well, I it's have why we do all of this and yet right? then we don't allow ourselves to even experience it. And I think I'm not the only one that does this, but how many people, you know, they do, they, they do a thing, but, and they just keep going to the next, it's like, okay, well, that thing's done, check. What's the next yeah, thing? And absolutely. they don't check take a the moment to breathe mm-hmm. and go, wait a second. That was a really big thing that just happened. Yeah. Like, you know, I, I just took a lot of time and, and those were big hurdles and that was, you know. I admitted some things to myself that were hard to admit to myself, or I really, I realized that, you know, certain relationships in my life were not working out or that something Um, hadn't been paid attention to or acknowledged and acknowledging the fact that you finally acknowledge something. That's the thing. That's when we achieve something but we don't switch back around to integrate it (laughs) I've been I I, this is part of what I've been dealing with and I touched on it a little bit yesterday which will be in our deeper dive that we post to Patreon but for now let me just say that part of the problem that I've been having is what they're saying oh gosh this is so difficult for me to put into words because it's like mid-download and I'm like blurg um what they're saying is that You have to understand and allow yourself to sit, just like you have learned to be uncomfortable and sit with the uncomfortableness, Mm -hmm. you also have to learn how to receive the benefits of the risks you just took. Because when you are sitting and receiving the benefits of the risk you just took, as opposed to what I normally do, which is, all right, well, I took that risk, check it off the list, let's move to the next one, uh-huh. and let's accomplish more more healing, more healing. They're like, you have to allow yourself to plateau. 
And instead of looking at the plateau as I'm stagnant, I'm stuck in this fog because that's how I always look at it. Why am I not moving? There's no momentum. I'm just here. Nothing's happening. The reason it felt so weird for me this last time when I plateaued was because nothing was wrong. There was no other thing presenting itself that needed to be handled. And I was too, I had too much momentum behind me. I had too much intention for momentum to appreciate or allow myself to appreciate the fact that I had accomplished a thing that got me to a safe spot. Right. All I ever want in my life is to feel safe. Right. And yet I can't even receive safety because I'm convinced my story is that I'm not supposed to be safe. I'm not allowed to be safe. There is no safety. Yeah. Plug with one of those in in any given instance. There's always an anti-safety story. Yeah. And if there's always an anti-safety story, how are you ever going to recognize safety? Right. Part of what you need to risk in the process of doing all this crappy shadow work is learning when you've actually done it. Yeah. And how that has changed who you are as a human and how you interact with your reality. And indeed, as a result of how you interact with your reality, how your reality is now changed and reflecting it back to you. Well, and how you're reacting to it, because you're going to keep getting situations thrown at you where if you're not taking the moment to acknowledge the things that you have done, you will continually react like you are not safe. Exactly. (laughs) Even if you created a safe place for yourself. Right. You will be given situations that will trigger that. Yes. And I literally at the end of last year did the things that made me feel so unsafe in order to create a new bubble of safety for myself and have yet to feel safe. <laughs> They're and like, it's not because step into it. The door is open. <laughs> exactly. That's why things are quiet, dummy. That's why nothing is happening. Constantly asking my guides to help me not feel so overwhelmed. And they're like, we can't take any more away. You literally have nothing. You have nothing good. You have nothing bad. It's quiet. You're in absolute silence. And I'm registering that absolute silence as abandonment, as punishment, as I haven't done enough, as I need to prove something more, as there's something blocking me and I need to work on it. What if none of those things are true? What if what you've actually done is achieved a safe space? What that if you that? haven't acknowledged yet? That you can't acknowledge because you don't even know what safety looks like. And it's going to be very difficult for your guides to show you what safety looks like if you cannot I mean, they're literally showing you all the time. They're like, nothing's happening. You're absolutely fine. Nothing is – I was just saying yesterday about writing the New Year's list and and, and last year it was so long and how when I went to do it this year, I really didn't have anything to put on it and it freaked me out. I was like – I can't be proactive if I don't know how to be proactive. Can you please panicked, give me some guidance? I'm panicked. <laughs> right? What do I need to do here in order to get your guidance? Well, dummy, how about you just sit down and watch TV for a night? How about that? Or a week? Because you've achieved a point where nothing more is required of you that you find scary because you've integrated a whole lot of fears that you used to have 
that you no longer have because you did the stupid work. Dummy, wake up. (laughs) (laughs) And and the same, I can say the same for me in conjunction with, and I'm sure there's layers to this, but in conjunction with what I have going on physically, I'm sure a good portion of that is you will not slow yourself down. So we will slow you down so that you have a chance to see that you are being taken care of, that you are being held, that you do have support. Here is your safety. Here's you being, look, you haven't, you have insurance. You can take care of the thing. You have people around you that are checking in on you. You, you know, you have support, but you can't see it. And I think the additional layer to that for me is the additional layer of the maternal stuff, you know, of looking at why is it that you cannot see it? Well, you cannot see it because you've inherited, you know, an an anxiousness, a nervousness, a nervous system that was, you know, already blown out. And in turn, your nervous system, your immune system, you know, your nervous system and your immune system are tied together. These are two things that are, you know, inherently intertwined. And then they feed back to your brain certain truths and untruths about how your body is actually operating because your nervous system is telling your your nervous system is telling your brain that certain things are happening. Your immune system is reacting to those signals, but they're not always based on actual truth. They're based on a perceived truth. So if the perceived truth is that I'm in danger, then your, you know, that fight or flight is going to be continually triggered. Your hormone levels are going to be continually, you know, crazy. Your body is going to continually attack itself because it thinks it's under attack. Right. And so you continually spin and spin and spin until you realize, wait, that's not actually a thing. (laughs) Right. But then you have to do the work to give your body the space and time to kind of catch up with the thing that logically is triggered in your in your head so you know now it's now it's kind of a matter of working backwards and going okay well we know that this is the reason why things are getting triggered now how do we convince those things that have been triggered that they don't have to continue to be triggered. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And that does take time. You know, they, I I get reminded all the time. It's like, look, this is built over a lifetime. These things were triggered in you. So it's not going to, it's, it's not going to be reversed overnight. It's, it's going to take time. And I was reading, yesterday the the book that i got from the library yesterday is called i can look over the couch and see it it is called 
The Body Keeps Score. The Body Keeps Score by? Now, that is difficult because this person, I believe, is from the Netherlands. And mm. it's going to be one of those things that are hard to pronounce, I think. So we'll have the information in our insight. Yeah, Bessel van der Kolk. Hmm. So, and it's apparently a book that's been around for a little bit. And I was intrigued because both of the people that were on the podcast, both the person that was doing the podcast and the guest, both figured out at the same time that this was a book that they both had on their on their shelves that they continually go back to. And it so far is very interesting. One of the things that this gentleman brings up kind of in the beginning, he started his, his foray into psychiatry, psychology fairly early on in the game he was i think it was in the 1970s when he was going to school so it was around the time when you know kind of a lot of new theories and things were coming up and he was kind of at the forefront of the the studies that were starting to introduce the thought that we could handle things medically with with medicine as as far as mental health was concerned and he was relating a lot of things that like they they were finding out during studies it's like it's medicine is something that at least at this point in the book it feels like he condones sometimes but he also recognizes where they went too far and just saying you know here here's a pill for that Mm -hmm. you know nobody stopped to ask about the trauma and help to talk people through a lot of his studies were with with veterans initially because that was one of his first jobs was with the VA in Boston. And he was talking about how people will go back continually to a particular trauma and that just the way the the body mind connection is wired that there are certain things that just go together and continually get triggered until you have a way of cutting that off and completely shifting the perception and some of that includes putting yourself into situations that will trigger you again so that you can see it from a different angle and that's something that we talk about all the time in the spiritual world but it's interesting mm -hmm. to see the take from that kind of more mainstream view and just the the actual like biology and physiology of it like he talked about the fact that like hormonally the the stress hormones and how they start to kind of break the body down after you know these long stretches of time where they're continually being triggered and the other thing that came up was that oh man it was 
Yeah. And I noticed that he talked about like in the case of war veterans, they will go through the process of like a group situation where they get to talk about, you know, what they had been through and that when they get to the point in the process where they're able to talk or ask to talk about like home situation, they will continually bounce back to talking about the trauma and that once they had the opportunity to do a real physiological study on that, what they determined was that in their systems, the, the, what that trauma was doing for them at that point when they were revisiting it was actually an analgesic effect. And what it ended up equating to was that 15 minutes of watching a war movie that showed several traumatic events happening equaled eight milligrams of morphine, what you would give someone who is in an ER who is about ready to go through a major like chest, who's having like a major chest trauma event to get them calmed down and in a comfortable state. It was actually comforting them. It was like a drug. It was like receiving a drug. Your sound. I have, ex- I have experienced. Sorry, I have experienced this from people, and I didn't know what I was experiencing. Where I was trying to offer a perspective that could take them out of their trauma, and they would fight it by uh-huh. digging deeper into the trauma. Not even digging deeper in a way as to assert the validity of it, digging deeper as if I had never said anything. Uh-huh. They were like getting a fix. And I I could see it, but I didn't know what I was seeing or why I was seeing it. Yeah. I thought that was – that blew my mind a little bit yesterday. I was like, wow. Yeah. That's I had no idea that that was – a thing to that degree like I can see yeah. where people revisit it and I think usually the point where I go to is they're they're wanting to be validated somehow yeah yeah experience. absolutely I think that's the na- the natural place to go especially from our position where we're at in working with you know more from a more spiritual angle but it was mm-hmm. interesting to me to hear that wow that is like that's some serious shit that and is, that was yeah. kind of like at the beginning of them starting to uh go through the like ptsd and label that and because of those studies that he had done he wanted to do more when they first announced the diagnosis of ptsd and when he wrote to the va and said i want to head up the study because I want to find out what the differences are between what these veterans are experiencing and what your average individual is experiencing. And are they experiencing the same things mm-hmm. when the average person who is having a traumatic event relives that traumatic event? Are they getting eight milligrams of, you know, the equivalent of eight grams of milli- milligrams of morphine? Or is that just the veterans? Like, how is this working? Right. How much trauma right. does it take to trigger that? And when he wrote to the VA to get 
the grant to do the research, the VA wrote him back and basically said, PTSD, like, we don't really acknowledge PTSD. Like, it has nothing to do with what we're doing here at the VA. I, like, I don't have the exact quote in front of me, but it was basically along those lines. And when he got that back, he was like, well, then I guess I quit because wow. I cannot work for an institution that denies so vehemently that this thing happened. And of course, there is a different tune now, but it blew what my mind that at any point in time, they could be handed this information and go, nah, it doesn't really apply to us. Right. What a missed opportunity. And, and we're seeing so <laughs> many of these missed opportunities now. We're seeing it from every angle, practically, where there's such an opportunity to wake up and see a new reality. And people are vehemently opposed to it. They are vehemently in favor of the old narratives. Yeah. And in what I watched today with the author that I watched today, which was Gabor Mate. Mate. Mm-hmm. And I think his new book is The Myth of Normal. I think is the name of that, or it's something akin to that. It's if it's not that exactly, it's very close. Mm-hmm. But what I wanted to say about that is, you know, again, this is a person who's been in that realm within that profession for a very long time, and actually went through very, very stark realizations of oh, some of what we have been teaching has not been correct, and that there very much is a connection between the body and the mind and of course when we layer on you know our layer we're seeing you know that also encompass the spirit absolutely and i feel like modern science is starting to move into that direction you know we're starting to see lots of places where things are are overlapping and and people like these two individuals are starting to make discoveries where they're realizing, oh, those things that we don't attribute to, you know, necessarily something physically happening actually does affect the physical, though. You know, all of these these things that we're experiencing, just experiences these things that are then filtered through our our mind is then being held in the body and that even though it's something that we might not have recollection of it doesn't mean that the body doesn't remember it right we don't remember our birth but our body does Mm -hmm. our spirit does and all of those things are working in tandem with each other so i think Mm -hmm. that's that's kind of one of the crazy crazy but you know one of those things that you have to be aware of when you when you are trying to search for answers be aware that all of these things play together and if you're seeking help and you don't feel that you're being you know that you're being listened to or that you're being heard or that you're just feeling like you know this might be helping but i feel like there's something more 
then I think it's, you know, you kind of have to be your own best advocate at that point and say, there's something else going on here. There's something deeper going on here. And if you're not willing to explore it with me, then I'm going to have to find somebody who is, you know, whatever the case may be. Yeah. It's interesting. Mm -hmm. Very. But it just, those are the things that were kind of gnawing at me. Nice. Today. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. We did the thing? We did the thing, I think. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Dope. All right. Well, I guess until next time. Until next time. And I know you wanted to talk about some things that we have going on with Patreon or in conjunction with Patreon and our Discord. Well, we're going to be on Discord uh after this episode drops so i think it's saturday the 20th i think that's the mm-hmm. 20th hold on let me yeah because the episode the episode will drop on the thursday before and so right. we'll be on discord the saturday after and that's a practice that we're the 21st the 21st uh, around noon around noon. yeah cool so we're gonna hang out for a little bit in discord and uh if you guys want to come say hi or ask questions or give us feedback we'll be in our chat the link will be made public on our patreon and uh you can come check it out hang out with us for a little while yeah and it should also be in our ig and we'll put it on our link tree as well so if you're not getting to us directly through patreon although patreon is a great way to find out more all of our insights are there we're doing deeper dives there mm-hmm. so if what we touched on interests you there's going to be more information on that as well as other topics right. all the insights from the episodes are there and you know we're still season two we're like six full months into recording so there's still a lot mm-hmm. of things that we're exploring and you know just playing with with how we put the episodes out and what the format is. And Mm -hmm. we appreciate your support as we kind of go through those things and, uh, you know, grow as a podcast and grow as a community, hopefully too. That's, that's our ultimate goal. That is the ultimate goal. Yeah. So thanks a lot, everyone. We appreciate you tuning in till next time. Bye.